It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football. Watching. You are Locked On Bengals. Your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko with my co-host, James Rapine. We're here to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals a day after they fall to 1-5-1. And, and we're going to get started with the laundry list of injury updates that Zach Taylor talked about today in his press conference as he and ESPN reporter Ben Baby went through really a concerningly long list of Bengals players that are injured. He also talked a little bit about Lou Anarumo and the defense as he continues to defend his guys, defend his team, defend his coaches. Then we get into some trade value questions in part two of the show as the trade deadline looms just a week away, most likely by the time you listen to this episode. It's next Tuesday, November 3rd at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Then we're going to wrap up with some pretty interesting stats that Jay Morrison and Paul Daner over at The Athletic had about Joe Burrow's first seven games in the NFL. Some unique company, some very good company that Joe Burrow finds himself in. As a Rookie of the Year debate rages today on Twitter between Justin Herbert at this point and Joe Burrow, at least Joe Burrow finds himself in some elite company for his long-term prospects at this point. But James, let's get started with these injury updates because... Going into week eight in Cincinnati, hosting the Tennessee Titans, things are dicey at a number of positions on the injury report at this point. Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor addressed the media on Monday afternoon and spoke at length about some of the litany of injuries the Bengals are facing, especially on the offensive line. This is your Locked On Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko, along with James Rapine. James, let's start with the offensive line injuries because there are three significant injuries for the Bengals on that offensive line coming out of week seven against the Browns. The first is Jonah Williams, who Zach Taylor described as day-to-day with a neck injury. He says it looks better today than it did yesterday. And Ian Rappaport reported that he might be out this week, but there's a good chance that he's back after the bye week. So a glimmer of good news for Jonah Williams. If you're expecting him to be back right away, maybe it's bad news. But the fact that it's not a long-term injury potentially bodes well for the Bengals. Meanwhile, Trey Hopkins is in concussion protocol. There's really no way to know how long he will take to clear that process, as it's different for every player, different for every concussion. And Bobby Hart was the only player that Zach Taylor said he's going to be out. And it's hard to say how long he'll be out, but he's got a knee injury. It looked to me like it was significant. A player fell into his left leg when he was planted and engaged with a block. He was very upset after the play. It wouldn't surprise me if Bobby Hart's lost for quite a while. Wouldn't be shocking at all. And I think that's why 
Zach was very careful with how he worded things was because he knows that it was potentially significant and he didn't want to say it before they knew for sure. And maybe it was, he didn't want to say it until Bobby was ready for it to be out there, which I get too, because that's uh, that could potentially be an awful injury. But overall, look, you might not have Trey Hopkins uh, against the Titans. I think that's realistic, but you feel good about him being back week 10 and who knows with concussions, but for the most part, uh, Jonah Williams yeah, it's weird with the neck, and, and Rappaport did say he's going to have some more testing, and, and we'll see. But the fact that Zach Taylor called him day to day, I do think that's encouraging because the last thing you want, we harp on Joe Burrow's development so much, but you want jo- Jonah Williams to develop. So next year, year three of his career, you know, oh, he's our left tackle. He's he's our guy, or wherever we put, you know, if we had to move him to right tackle, or whatever it is, that that dude's going to be ready to go and ready to play. And that's what this year is about for him. And uh, obviously he got got by Miles Garrett on Sunday and that led to that that sack fumble. But overall, I think the the results are encouraging and you just want him to continue that process and not miss out due to injury. 100% agree with that. And I do think that he's probably shown them enough to believe that he can play a tackle position. I think they probably want to keep him at left tackle because he's been good there. He's been getting better there. Yeah, he had a tough play with with Miles Garrett that you just highlighted, but on the on the sum, Jonah Williams has been very good this season. We also got a little bit of an update on Xavier Suafilo, Zach Taylor telling the media that he would most likely at the earliest be ready after the bye week, but he didn't want to commit to that. They're going to reevaluate him after the bye week. He could be back out there as soon as week nine. Meanwhile, the Bengals are bringing Quentin Spain in for a visit this week reportedly. And that's another guard that can be in the mix for them as they're looking for answers on the interior of that offensive line. We also got an update on Joe Mixon, who Zach Taylor called day-to-day. He said, we'll see on Wednesday. But he sounded a little more optimistic about Mixon, potentially being back a little bit sooner than later. Getting away from injuries for a moment, Lou Anarumo also came up in Zach Taylor's presser today, and Taylor threw his support behind his defensive coordinator, as you would expect, to some degree. I was hoping he would say something along the lines of, we need to find some answers, we need to find players, we need to find ways to get a little bit better. Instead of just saying, you know what, we were only one or two plays away because you've been one or two plays away too many times to keep rolling that excuse out. So I would have liked a little bit more from Taylor there, but he was never going to throw Anna Rumo under the bus. No, and I don't think he should, honestly. And that's coming from someone that would, you know, we would both benefit from him doing that right and creating some headlines and saying there's pressure there. But to me, look, yeah, if the defense continues to get its ass kicked and shredded, at some point they're going to have to make a decision regardless of the injuries. But looking at it from a Bengals perspective and just trying to put myself in the shoes of you know Duke Tobin and, and Mike Brown and, and the Blackburns, look at all the injuries they've had along the defensive front, all the new bodies they've had there. They were without William Jackson III. They have a bunch of, injury, or a bunch of uh, young players in the middle of that defense, that linebacker. Sometimes there are reasons. Now, flip it to the other side, which I totally feel. Stop making these quarterbacks that aren't great look great. Stop resurrecting Phillip Rivers and making it look like it's 2010. Stop making Baker Mayfield look like an MVP candidate. So there is a flip side to it. But I I do think knowing the Bengals and what they've done historically, they are going to stay patient here. And and that's really just a stern reminder to those that think that, all right, big change is coming. And who knows? Maybe if it was a bye this week and it wasn't let's prepare for the Titans – then things would be different. But I'm not shocked at all that Taylor endorsed Lou Anarumo, even though the defense clearly 
struggling and searching for answers right now. You're right about that, James. And for a long time, we thought some of those answers might be veterans like Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins. That does not (laughs) appear that it will be the case at this point in the 2020 season. That being said, we're going to explore some trade values for some of these guys that are rumored to be available or at least inquired after on this Bengals roster coming up next. This football season is different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. I'm every Sunday getting up, excited to watch what Joe Burrow will show me this week, how his game is developing, how he's dealing with the adversity and not ideal situation around him, and Pepsi is a refreshment that you and I need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Become one of those passionate fans that is a real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football. Watching. Winner's right around the corner, and obviously you need to make sure your car is going to get you from point A to point B. So no matter the climate, you got to keep up with your car maintenance. I do so with rockauto.com. You should go there right now. Check them out. It's a family business. They've served auto parts customers online for more than two decades. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. I use them for my cabin air filter. You should too, whether it's your classic vehicle that you garage or your daily driver that you leave out in all elements. You can get everything you need for your vehicle at rockauto.com. They have rock bottom prices that are much, much lower than what you're going to get at the big box store. So go there right now, rockauto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. As Jake said, this segment right up my alley because we're going to talk about the trade deadline here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. And Jake, it's coming quick. Next Tuesday, November 3rd, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And the Bengals have some options here. And and we'll dive into them uh, over the next few minutes. Let's start with the elephant in the room. Employee 96. Man, he's stomping his feet and being as loud as he can. I never would have really... Imagine this a few years ago when he signed that extension that this is how it was going to turn out, but somehow sometimes that's how it works. So Carlos Dunlap appearing to appears to be on his way out. Here's my thought on it, Jake, and I don't know where you stand officially. I'm not cutting him. I'm absolutely doing everything I can to get something for him, and I think they can. I think there'll be some sort of a market if they trade him before that deadline. Uh, he'll be out around four million dollars this year which is is reasonable for a guy if you're a contender that, you know, you need a little edge help, a little pass rush on the edge. So I think they could find something for him, probably a sixth or a seventh, a late day three pick. But I'm okay with that, given that he's disgruntled in a distraction. What, what, what say you? I would prefer that they find a trade partner. I think that that will be challenging. I think that their leverage has been evaporated by Carlos Dunlap's conduct and the way that he's taken this public. He's since deleted his social media posts, but of course everybody sees him. Deleting social media posts doesn't do anything. And the question really becomes, 
is the compensation worth the time for the Bengals as rival GMs have at least told Jason LaCanfora, who is not notoriously close with the Bengals front office, but he has heard from a rival GM of, of some team or another that the Bengals have been difficult to approach. They're, they have a hard time pulling the trigger on trades. And we've seen that in the past, certainly. They're stubborn about how they value their players. And they don't, as Duke Tobin said, want to make other teams better. They're not in the business of making other teams better. But <laughs> as as Mr. Blackburn told us, tackles uh, aren't on the shelves at Walmart. And sometimes you need assets to try to fix your team. And I think that if they can get anything back for Dunlap, like you said, sixth, seventh round pick. I, I personally would not be too stoked on doing it for a seventh round pick because those so infrequently turn into anything. But a sixth round pick, fifth round pick would be great. Fourth round pick would be great. I, I don't know that those are on the table at this point, especially when you look at Yannick Ngakwe only getting a third and conditional fifth round pick. And Yannick Ngakwe is perceived to be, I think at this point in his career, a more promising player. And he's younger, certainly could be an extension option for the Ravens if they so choose. It's probably a win now move for them, but that's the kind of move it would be for Dunlap too. So th- that's the other thing to keep in mind, by the way, that the team that would be acquiring Dunlap, if it's a team like Seattle, mm-hmm. for example, who's been the most most connected with him that I've seen in my limited research into this topic, you're, you're looking at a very late pick in that round anyway. So maybe that does make a fifth rounder a little bit more possible from, from some of these teams that might be in the market for Dunlap, but I would be pretty happy with the fifth rounder at this point. The, the one other thing I wanted to say about it is you mentioned that you wouldn't cut him. And I think that there's a point where his hand, where he just forces a Bengals hand. And if they can't find a trade partner that, that you might actually see them just straight up cut him the same way we saw Le'Veon Bell get cut in New York. Yeah, I, I get that. I don't want to reward that. I don't want to reward acting like an ass and, and throwing a temper tantrum and all the social media stuff. And it, it's funny. We we go back a decade ago to the Carson stuff and, and even Chad Johnson in 08 or 07, or it was 07 when he demanded a trade after that season. And the Bengals didn't want to set that precedent. Well, you know what? I'll trade you. I'm not worried about that precedent, but I am worried about a veteran who's been a staple in this community and a staple of this franchise and defense for a decade, deciding that he doesn't get along with coaches and and doesn't like his role. So he whines, bitches and moans and gets his way. And that's getting cut. Right. I, mean, I think Carlos wins that way. And I I'm petty, too. I'll send you home before I cut you. You ain't going to go win a Super Bowl, for, you know, for a league minimum deal. We're going to pick where you go. And I do think that the Bengals will have options there. And here's the other thing, and this is where the Bengals, they lack in creativity with trades, but I would hope that they'd be willing to do this. Let's say you do trade with Seattle. Well, why not pair Dunlap and a pick, right? Dunlap and your seventh for their fifth if they don't want to do it. Or for Dunlap and your sixth for their fourth, because it's going to be a late fourth and a high sixth. So it isn't as, it isn't as crazy, and you do get some value there. So if I'm the Bengals... I'm willing to get creative with it, but I want something in return for Carlos Dunlap, and I think they'll be able to do it. I agree with all that. I just 
have no feel for whether there's actually a market for for him and and i have no clue whether the bengals front office is going to take what they're offered and i think Mm. that they could certainly find themselves in a situation where they can't tolerate him in the locker room anymore and and they have about a week to get that figured out but but to your point about uh pick swap trades that's something that joe and i talked about a lot while you were away from the lockdown bengals podcast while we were manning the ship as it were we we talked about you know they did it with cordy glenn they they Mm -hmm. they pick swapped in the first round and picked up cordy glenn in the process now now can they look to get on the other side of that that's pretty common in the nfl these days i would hope that that's something that they're considering when when weighing the compensation for dunlap the next most likely player to be traded by the deadline at least on the Bengals side of things is john ross i would say you know he's asked for a trade clearly not part of the Bengals offense and that's the key no matter how you feel about John Ross they have told you how they feel about him he's not part of the rotation he's not part of their game plan when he's active that's it so to me this is a no-brainer find what his value is and try to get something and you want to talk about pick swaps and uh, even more creative conditional selections I think that's where this comes in with Ross I think you're talking about a late day three pick and maybe you can get some conditions on it based on playing time or production down the stretch here. But I'm thinking sixth or seventh rounder, that's probably the best you're going to get. I do think there are a lot of teams that could use a guy like him, but I'm not sure all of those teams will be interested. But I do think there'll be somewhat of a market, but it it won't be like there's a lot of value for his services. It'll be a late round pick. Yeah. I don't know how much else there is to really say about that. I think that they've maybe slightly squandered this asset. They could have potentially gotten more for Ross when people were apparently calling about him last year, maybe in the off season. And at this point, you've reached a nadir in his value. You're you're selling at an all-time low. And Reds fans are sick of seeing this. Cincinnati sports fans, I think, are, are sick of seeing some of these guys sold at their lowest point. But... If I'm the Bengals, I'm respecting John Ross's request for a trade. If you can't even get him active, then there's no reason for him to be on the team. Yeah, he's great injury insurance, but you know the week he was up, he didn't play anyway. So if they need another receiver, just just bring Stanley Morgan up from the practice squad because at least you use him on special teams. At least you're getting something out of that active roster spot at that point. You know, so so take whatever you can get for Ross, and uh, we we part ways amicably and with regret is kind of where I'm at. Let's stick with the receivers. AJ Green, he's had a couple good weeks. What would you want for him, Jake, at the trade deadline? Oh, boy. I don't think the Bengals are very willing to trade AJ Green. I think that in their eyes, his contract is not necessarily something that they will consider very much when when – weighing the return i think that they would probably be looking for i would guess a second round pick right so so what would i take i would be fine with any day two pick at this point if i were interested in trading him now am i interested in trading him gets a lot more complicated because if he is on the outs and he's played much better in the last two weeks not quite as done as we maybe speculated then you're looking at mike thomas getting a lot more snaps or Auden Tate getting a lot more snaps. And there's a clear and significant drop-off there. Even if A.J. Green is phased out in the future, which is a real possibility, how much value is there in just keeping him around for the rest of the year? Maybe you get him on a on a deal coming back. 
because he's realized that he he's not necessarily the number one in this offense in the next two, three years, whatever his deal would work out to be. How much value is there in keeping him just for Joe Burrow's development the rest of this year? I would actually, I, and I don't know if there's a, a tampering involved. I don't think there is. I know you can't sign him, but maybe just casually ask his agent if that price has gone down. And, and, and again, I don't know if you can or not, if there's a way to gauge that or a way to, you know, go up to the line if there is a rule there without breaking that rule. But yeah, I mean, if, if AJ still thinks he's making 18 to 20 mil next year, well, he's obviously, I mean, I would assume he's going to do that somewhere else. If he's going to do that, it won't be here. And, and here's the key. Not only gauging that aspect, but see what his value is across the league. Because I look at a lot of these teams. You're telling me the Green Bay Packers wouldn't love Green for the final ten games in the playoffs, or final eight games in the playoffs. The you know the the Eagles wouldn't love to add a guy like that. Heck, the 49ers. I mean, there are some teams where he would make a lot of sense on. And uh, the Saints, with all the stuff going on with Michael Thomas, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If they were interested in who knows what the cap and all that and how they would have to bend it and move it. But we've seen the Chiefs fit guys in. So I think that is certainly possible. So I, I think that's the key here. Uh, and really for the Bengals in general, be proactive here. And it's not something they are. Gauge gauge what Green's going to get you back. I mean, if you you mentioned a second round pick. Well, what if it it's Green in a four for a two? Or a Green in a five for a two? Or something like that. Like there's You, you never know. And, and that to me... That's why I would certainly be open to it. And I'm the green guy, but I'm at least listening here and actively engaging just to see what you could get, even if you do think that he has turned a corner here and he is going to be productive for the rest of the way and maybe productive for the next few seasons. One last point on this, James, before we have to move on. We've talked a little bit about pick swaps, and I do think that that's a tool the Bengals should explore. However, I do want to just say this. I think that they need to acquire additional assets. And so if they do make some trades, I hope they're not all pick swaps because getting additional draft picks will give them some flexibility that I think will be very beneficial as they wheel and deal in other trade possibilities and in next year's NFL draft. So there's some trade talk for you on the week before trade deadline Tuesday. Next week we get trade deadline Tuesday. We'll talk about it a little bit more then. There's nothing else important happening in the world next Tuesday, I don't think. So you'll be locked into the Locked On Bengals podcast, I'm sure. Coming up next, we've got some stats on Joe Burrow that I think are very promising for his future, James. And I think the listeners will too. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. James, let's wrap up this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast with some Joe Burrow positivity because nothing brings out the optimist in me like Joe Burrow and looking at the things he's doing that no rookie quarterback has ever done before. And it's a bit of a list. First, NFL 365 tells us that Joe Burrow is the first rookie quarterback in NFL history with 400 plus passing yards, three touchdown passes, 
and a rushing touchdown in a single game. He's also the fourth quarterback in NFL history with five 300 passing yard games as a rookie. And only Andrew Luck, Daniel Jones, and Kyler Murray have achieved that stat. Joe Burrow has done it in seven games, James. Seven games to do what only three rookies have ever done before, and those have all happened very recently. So obviously, passing getting a little bit easier, and that has something to do with it. But Burrow's doing it better than these other guys, too. He's special. He's special. And I was talking to you before we started this, and I was like, damn, I, I wish the team was ready because Burrow's ready. Like, he's ready to to lead a winner now. And you can't say that about most rookie quarterbacks. Like, even, you know, the Peyton Mannings need a year. The Carson Palmer. Carson needed a year uh, it, to, to play, a year of playing before he was really ready to lead a team and play at a high level week in, week out. And I, I think that that's really been the the thing with Burrow. He's He's exceeded my expectations, and I think my expectations for him were higher than most people's and most people's were pretty high already and he's exceeded them and, and it, it just it seems like he's going to just find a way each and every week and when you have talent around you and you have the right coaches around you you're going to win 10 to 12 games every year with that dude and, and that's what the Bengals really need to realize when we talk about trades and we talk about being aggressive and we talk about different moves and things you have to do everything every move this organization makes has to be about Burrow and giving him the right stuff and the right pieces and the right uh, putting the right people around him. And I, I think that's really the key now moving forward because nine, he's it. I don't think anyone's really worried about him. It's everything else that's around him. And you know what's really interesting when you talk about what teams need to do to build around these kinds of quarterbacks? Pittsburgh knew they had something with Ben Roethlisberger pretty early on. Yeah, they didn't make him the focal point of the offense the way the Bengals have with Burrow, but they knew. They knew that he was going to be a long-term quarterback. The Patriots very quickly knew they had a long-term quarterback with Tom Brady. There are examples of this on successful teams around the league, but I mentioned those two because they're there every year. Obviously, the Patriots are the gold standard of NFL dynasty. And, And what did the Patriots do? They had one year of Randy Moss. They had Rob Gronkowski. But the constant for those teams was elite offensive line play and elite defense, which is, which is interesting, right? Like you want, you want me to say, Oh yeah, go get wide receivers. Go Joe, Joe Burrow. Yeah. They benefit from, from a guy like Jamar chase or something in the draft, Jalen Waddle, if he comes back healthy, but Mm -hmm. you give Joe Burrow an offensive line. We've seen what he can do. And and he has good receivers. That's not a slight of of Tyler Boyd, AJ green and, and T Higgins, but you you build the offensive line, you build the defense, and Joe Burrow is going to do enough. And, and maybe and, you can't do that in one year, right? So so maybe you try to become a a shootout team in twenty twenty one, and and you make this a forty points a game offense or something, and and then you try to get the defense going after that. But there is a blueprint here. If we look historically at teams that have been successful with good quarterbacks over a long period of time, and a lot of that, ironically, is on the defensive side of the ball. James, a couple more stats. In his first seven starts, Joe Burrow has thrown for 2,023 passing yards. The only quarterback to throw for more yards in his first seven starts in NFL history is Cam Newton, who's got Joe Burrow beat by 80 yards. 
And let's see how that changes as the year goes on and the Bengals continue to ask Joe Burrow to throw the ball a ton. And and by the way, I really like Joe Burrow's matchup from a stats perspective against this Titans defense this week. Very banged up in the secondary. Not a very scary pass rush, but we're not ready to talk about the Titans yet. The last stat, James, is that Joe Burrow in throwing five 300-yard passing games in his first seven games is only the second rookie quarterback to ever do this and taking that a step further he is it's, it's just the 25th time that that has happened in nfl history where you begin the season seven games five 300 yard passing games and listen to the other names that have done this james drew Brees, peyton manning kurt warner matt ryan pat mahomes phil rivers aaron Rodgers, andrew luck dan fouts drew bledsoe joe montana rich gannon steve young and tom brady that's a good list. <laughs> That's a hell of a list. I, I didn't really think. What's the weak link there? Drew Bledsoe. I mean, is, is probably that, is yeah. that the weak link? Like that's a hell of a weak link. You know. Uh, wow. That that's crazy. And to me, the more I watch him, because clearly he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. It, but if I had to give him a comp, it, it it's the comp that the guy who threw for five touchdowns at Paul Brown Stadium was getting a lot coming out of school because of his height. I think Burrow's just a. A slightly bigger Drew Brees. I think he's a guy that has extreme intelligence, knows, does everything pre-snap that you can ask and is going to continue to grow in that department, is a little more athletic and a little bigger. But that's who he reminds me of. Now, you don't have the dome and you don't know if you have your Sean Payton, but you you know you got a guy. And, and I, I think that's uh, that's crazy that he's in that company. I hadn't heard that stat. That's wild. That That's from Jay Morrison, that one from The Athletic. You should definitely be following Jay because he comes up with some really good stuff from a numbers perspective every week. And I'm a numbers guy, and, and I like the, the numbers that Jay has. Of course, you know I'm also a film guy. You know what comp I like that I hadn't thought of until Joe Goodberry pointed it out to me when we were talking about how weird Joe Burrow is in the sense that he's athletic and he's trying to extend plays? But the other guys you see do that have cannon arms. You see Russell mm-hmm. Wilson do that. You see Pat Mahomes do that. The comp that he threw out that I really liked, who happens to also be on this list, is Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon in 2000, at age 35, ran for 529 yards and four touchdowns. And and that's that athleticism that you're talking about. That same year, he passed for 28 touchdowns, had 3,500 yards. He was, I believe, an all-pro. Yep, first-team all-pro that year. Rich Gannon was a late bloomer, but... When when you look at some of his best rushing years and some of his best years in general, which are 2000 and 2002, I can kind of see it. Athletic guys, playmakers, not necessarily cannon arms. I just think that that one's kind of interesting that Rich Gannon showed up on this list. I'll take it. <laughs> sign me up. Really, any any comp like that, sign me up. And it's, it's what you put around him. And, and that's the key now. But props to Burrow. I know he was... Uh, nominated for the FedEx Air Player of the Week as well, going up against Brady and a couple other. I forget who else he's going up against, but it's much easier said than done to to beat a guy like Tom Brady. So hopefully, I think it's Baker. I think Baker's the other one. So we'll see if he gets it done. By the way, I was more impressed with Burrow than I was with Baker on Sunday, even though Baker had five touchdowns. I was initially, after, after letting it sit, Baker made fewer mistakes. 
and and made a couple more throws. The thing about Baker's day is that, you know, everyone calls the touchdown pass that won the game a dime, a fantastic throw. I think that that throw actually needs to lead the receiver a little bit more. It just has it has just enough on it to to make it to a point where Darius Phillips can't make a play on the ball. When I first watched it, I thought Darius Phillips had the pick. And there's mm-hmm. a couple still frames where you can see it goes right over his helmet. Phillips turns. He just can't find the ball in time. And it goes right between his hands. He kind of gator arms it. And and great play for Donovan Peoples-Jones. Joe Burrow did have a few mistakes on the day, but overall thought he played really well. The, the Not on the same page with A.J. Green, and I've never seen a wide receiver in QB that far apart on that kind of play where one guy throws a back shoulder that works twice earlier in the game, and then A.J. is still going. Like, well after the ball is thrown, A.J. doesn't react in time. And uh, he, he had the fumble, of course, and then he had the uh, the interception that, that stuck. So I do think that objectively, Baker probably played a little bit better. He was a little bit more efficient. He hit stuff downfield. He hit some more of those big throws. He had one mistake, and, and that was kind of it. So both quarterbacks played really well. I'm sick of seeing Baker play well against the Bengals because they make his life way too easy. And that just goes back to my earlier point. Build a defense. Get a pass rush. Make things a little bit less predictable for these opposing quarterbacks that are going to thrive when you give them stable settings. Anyway, we've been rambling long enough here, James. This one really got a little bit long on us. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to take some mailbag questions and maybe do some more trade speculation because the trade deadline will be just one week away as we record tomorrow on Tuesday, October 27th. Until then, Bengals fans, who day, and have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.